Chapter Thirty of Herb of Grace. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. Herb of Grace by Rosa Nouchette Carey. Chapter Thirty in Kensington Gardens. If you would fall into any extreme, let it be on the side of gentleness. The human mind is so constructed that it resists vigor and yields to softness. St. Francis de Salle Malcolm went up by an early train the next morning. He had a long day's work before him, a mass of correspondence to sift, several business interviews, and some proofs to revise. It was later than usual when he went back to Shane Walk, but Verity had put aside his dinner for him, and sat beside him while he ate it. She even brought him coffee with her own hands. Perhaps these little womanly attentions soothed him insensibly, though he was so used to them by this time that he was almost tempted to take them as a matter of course, for his face lost its strained weary look. "'There is a beautiful fire in your room, Mr. Herrick,' she observed cheerfully before she left him. "'I shall tell Amias that you are tired, and that he must not expect you in the studio to-night.' Malcolm smiled gratefully. "'What a good little soul you are, Verity. You always say just the right thing. Tell Goliath, with my love, that I am busy, so there must be no pipe and no palaver to-night. I shall have to be up betimes, too.' and then he took counsel with Verity as to the hour when his breakfast should be served. It was quite true that he had business waiting to be done. Nevertheless, as he lay back in his easy chair by the fire, he could not bring himself to take up his pen. At this very hour on the previous evening he had been with Elizabeth. The dear face, dearer, alas, than ever, had been before him. The changing characteristic voice, so musical yet so uneven had been in his ears he recalled her look as she stood so wrapped in thought in the alcove before she perceived his presence its deep sadness had surprised him what could be troubling her in a few months she would marry the man she loved truly god's best gifts were hers health wealth and love and yet the shadowed brow and the eyes misty with unshed tears seemed to speak of some hidden sorrow. What could it be? That was his last waking thought that night, and the question still troubled him when he walked the next morning in the direction of Kensington Gardens to keep his self-made tryst with Leah Jacobi. He knew the gate that was nearest to Gresham Gardens, but it was long before the hour that Hugh Rossiter had mentioned when he reached it, and began pacing up and down like a sentinel on duty. Fortunately the morning was fine, and a faint gleam of sunshine tried to penetrate the thin haze brooding over the gardens. Although it was the last day of October, the air was mild, but contrary to his usual custom, Malcolm failed to notice the effect of the clinging mist round the leafless trees, the nebulous distances, and the faint golden streaks of sunshine. His mind was full of the approaching interview and the difficult work that lay before him. It was so early that the place seemed quite deserted, but presently he heard dogs barking, and the next moment 
two little fox-terriers, curiously alike, rushed past him, intent on their play. He recognized them at once from Cedric's description. They were Tim and Tartar, belonging to Saul Jacobi, and he knew their mistress was at hand. He looked at her intently as she came slowly towards him. She wore a dark red dress and jacket that set off her graceful figure, and her close velvet hat was a darker shade of the same color. On anyone else the effect might have been too striking, but it exactly suited her, and as Malcolm noticed the exquisite color of her face and the wonderful coils of black hair, he was obliged to acknowledge that Cedric's temptation had been strong, and that many an older man might have lost his heart to so beautiful a creature. Leah's eyes had been fixed on the ground, and she did not see Malcolm until she was quite close to him, but though she was evidently surprised to meet him, she only bowed gravely and would have passed on. But Malcolm placed himself at her side. "'You are an early riser, Miss Jacoby,' he observed, in a friendly tone. "'Are you always so energetic?' "'I like an early morning walk,' she replied quietly. But there was an uneasy flush on her face, as though she found Malcolm's society embarrassing." I generally have the gardens to myself at this hour. My brother is a late riser, and this is my leisure time. I have never met you here before, Mr. Herrick. And here Leah gave him a quick, furtive glance from under her long lashes. I dare say not, he returned coolly. This is hardly my beat. To tell you the truth, Miss Jacoby, my errand is to you this morning." A quick, undefinable expression, almost resembling fear, came over her face, but she answered him quietly. "'You have come here to talk to me?' with an air of well-simulated surprise. "'How could you know my habits? I think,' a little stiffly, "'we have only met twice.' "'You are quite right, Miss Jacoby. I spoke to you first in the porch at Cookham Church, and the second time at the Etheridges.' As far as that goes, we are little acquainted with each other, but we have a mutual friend, you and I. Then he saw her eyes suddenly droop. Forgive me if I am abrupt, he went on, but the matter concerns me intimately. I am informed that you are engaged to my friend, Cedric Templeton. It was evident that she was prepared for this. The bolt out of the blue had not startled her. She stood still, and looked at him with an air of proud displeasure. "'May I ask the name of your informant, Mr. Herrick?' she asked coldly. But he saw that she knew. "'Why should I not have it from Cedric himself? We are close friends.' But he watched her narrowly as he said this. "'Because he would be the last person to tell you.' Then she checked herself as she saw the snare he had laid for her. What if I am engaged to him, as though determined to brave it out? It can surely be no business of yours, Mr. Herrick. There was rising temper in Leah's voice. You must forgive me if I say that I differ from you there. My friend's interests are my own. Miss Jacoby, how can you reconcile it to your conscience to injure that poor boy's prospects by entering into a clandestine engagement with him? He could see her eyes flash with anger, but she made no reply. "'You know his position. He is utterly dependent on his sisters. His father left him nothing. 
he has no profession he has not even finished his university training he is far too young to think of marrying she opened her lips to speak and then closed them resolutely again pardon me if i am obliged to speak plainly but i have no option this engagement cannot go on you must set him free who says so you or hugh rossiter stopping and regarding him with a frown that made her look for the moment like a beautiful medusa then she walked on again excuse me mr herrick very haughtily if i say that i regard your interference with my private concerns as unjustifiable impertinence i refuse to discuss the matter with you i am going home tartar tim raising her voice and she turned and walked back so swiftly that he had some trouble in overtaking her miss jacoby in an urgent voice i must speak to you i am an accredited ambassador from miss templeton and her sister they have asked me to speak to you they must choose another ambassador then and leah walked on faster malcolm was at his wit's end how could he compel this haughty and obstinate young woman to listen to him then an idea came to him if miss jacoby is so unapproachable he said quietly perhaps the countess ferrari will not refuse to listen to me leah stopped suddenly as though she had been shot and her face grew white what do you mean how dare you call me that do you want to kill me but the expression in her eyes was not pleasant to see for a moment she seemed almost distraught hush hush he said soothingly i would not have called you that if i could have helped it but you would not hear me let us go down that little path there is a seat there and we will talk this out quietly and taking her arm he gently guided her to the bench sit down and recover yourself he continued kindly for she was drawing deep breaths as though she were on the verge of a hysterical attack malcolm felt secretly frightened at the result of his experiment it was clear to him that the mere utterance of her married name almost maddened her that for some occult reason it was not safe to use it up to this moment she had played her cards well she had guessed his errand and had evaded and kept him at bay first by pretended ignorance and next by refusing to discuss the engagement with him that he was miss templeton's mouthpiece and messenger mattered little or nothing to her no wonder malcolm found himself nonplussed a moment later he heard his name called leah's manner had changed she was still very pale but she had regained outward calmness i will hear you now she said in a low voice but you must be more careful if you mention that name again i must leave you what is the message you have for me from miss templeton you shall know directly but there is one thing i must say first miss templeton and her sister are fully acquainted with your past life your parentage your brother's occupations and above all the fact that you have only recently become a widow hardly more than six or seven weeks ago he was standing before her as he spoke and she tried to look at him but some sudden sense of womanly shame made her cover her face with her hands it was not my fault she almost whispered i am not good but i am not so bad as that saul said it did not matter and after that when i began to get uncomfortable 
He told me a lie. You mean that he told you that your husband was dead? Leah shivered and bowed her head in assent. Then, as she saw Malcolm's kind and pitying look, she continued in a low, constrained voice, as though something compelled her to speak. It was not all Saul's fault. I ought not to have believed him, for he does not always tell the truth. After a time I found out that it was a lie, and then it was too late. Cedric knew I cared for him. "'You really care for him?' Malcolm was not aware how gently he spoke, but his tone thrilled through Leah. Her manner softened still more, and her dark, unfathomable eyes were full of womanly tenderness. "'Is that such a strange thing?' she asked in a dreary tone. "'Could not any woman love him? So young, so fresh, so true, so different from anyone I have ever met in my unhappy life? What does it matter that I am older? What has age to do with it when two people care for each other?' "'Ah, I will grant you that,' returned Malcolm slowly. "'I shall make him a good wife,' she went on, "'and in the years to come the old wounds will be healed, "'and I shall forget the terrible past. "'Oh,' recalling herself with difficulty, "'why am I talking to you like this, "'and I have never even heard Miss Templeton's message?' "'Then Malcolm sat down beside her "'and gently repeated Dinah's words. "'Tell her from me.' that if she persists in marrying my poor boy, she will be marrying a pauper, that on the day the marriage takes place I shall alter my will, and that my sister Elizabeth will be my heir. Tell her this, and I will write to Cedric. There was no answer to this, but he could feel the tremor that passed through her. She has written, he went on, and by this time Cedric has her letter. "'Miss Jacoby, if you love this poor lad, how can you have the heart to ruin him? Be generous, be merciful, and set him free.' Then she turned upon him almost fiercely. "'Generous, merciful, and who has ever shown me mercy? When my own flesh and blood have traded on my beauty, my hateful beauty, and sold me without pity or remorse, and now,' still more passionately, you and his people want to come between me and happiness. You wish me to give him up, but I cannot. I will not. I am not marrying him for Miss Templeton's money, she continued indignantly, but for himself, and because we love each other. It is Saul who thinks of the money, but he will not believe that message. He knows she will not do it. Her sister Elizabeth is rich, rich, and we should be so poor." "'You are wrong, Miss Jacoby. She will do it. Miss Templeton is gentle and loving, but she is very firm. It is possible, nay probable, that she would continue Cedric's allowance, but in the event of this marriage he will have nothing more from her. Do you mean that she would let him starve? I mean that he would have to work for his bread, as other men have to work, and that his whole life, and yours too, will probably be a failure.' "'Miss Jacoby, I entreat you to listen to me for a few moments. I am speaking for your good as well as his. May I tell you what I think?' She made a movement of assent. Malcolm never could recollect afterwards what he said to her, but his words, strong, eloquent, convincing, seemed to overwhelm her like a torrent, and yet his manner was perfectly quiet and calm. 
he told her without attempting to soften or palliate the fact that nothing would reconcile miss templeton and her sister to such a marriage that her brother's character was regarded by them with abhorrence that their cherished brother should marry the sister of a billiard marker a mere adventurer and gambler was utterly impossible and leah's head was bowed low as she listened he touched delicately on her own past but his few words were terribly convincing you have spoken to me of cedric's youth and freshness he observed do you think that your past life with its sad experiences make you a fit mate for him you may tell me you are only a few years older but in knowledge of life he is a mere child compared to you it is in the name of his youth his fresh unsullied youth that i implore you to be generous and set him free malcolm said more than this for his own love for elizabeth made him eloquent he must do her this one service he must deliver her young brother out of the contaminating hands of these philistines and so he reasoned and pleaded with leah as he had never pleaded in his life before soon she was weeping he could see the tears dropping into her lap then suddenly as a clock struck she started up it is late i must go now or saul will question me indeed indeed i must go but you will think over all i have said and let me see you again asked malcolm anxiously yes i will think over it and if possible i will be here to-morrow but i cannot answer you now you have made me very unhappy mr herrick what is it that the bible says there is no peace for the wicked i must be wicked for there is no peace for me no no you must not say that he returned kindly let me give you my card that you may know where to find me miss jacoby if you will only bring yourself to do this thing you will be a brave woman and i shall be your friend for life but she only smiled faintly as she took the card and asked him as a special favor not to come any farther with her have i done any good thought malcolm sorrowfully as he walked away poor soul how she loves him cedric was right as i told miss templeton leah jacoby is more sinned against than sinning nature intended her for a noble woman but saul jacoby and count antonio ferrari have marred her handiwork and all the rest of the day malcolm thought of leah with strange kindness and pity End of chapter thirty